Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Gaetano Donizetti, one of the three great early 19th century composers of bel canto opera, was apparently fascinated with the ups and downs in the lives of the members of the English royal family, the Tudors, during the 16th century. He wrote four operas loosely based on the historical record, including Anna Bolena, the tragic story of Henry VIII's second wife, Anne Boleyn, Roberto Devereux, named after the second Earl of Essex, whom history has speculated was the secret lover of Queen Elizabeth I, and Maria Stuarda, a fictionalized account of the real-life rivalry between Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots, and her cousin, Elizabeth I, over which of them would take over the throne of England. Houston Grand Opera mounted a production of Donizetti's Maria Stuarda in April 2012. Superstar American mezzo-soprano Joyce Di Donato, in her role debut, sang the title role. You're singing this role for the first time, Maria Stuarda. This is not your first encounter with this opera, though, is it? No. Uh, about six years ago in Geneva, I sang the role of Elisabetta, Elizabeth. And so I was on the other side of the duel, and I was um, the one who was called the vile bastard, whereas this time I'm the one who gets to hurl that infamous insult. And it's, <laughs> I tell you, it's been really, really fascinating for me to see it from both sides because one of the big centers of discussion when I first did this role was how these two women could have been the best of friends in a different political climate, mm -hmm. in a different uh, religious climate. But really, they were two people on the face of the earth who understood more than anyone what the other was going through, being a female political leader and, and uh, ruler in this world of intrigue and male domination and, and all of this. It's, it's a real pity that the two of them couldn't actually find a way to come together because could you imagine these two you know, great intellects and these great powers coming together and trying to find a, a truce somewhere there? It's, it's a fascinating discussion. Give us your take on Mary Stewart as she is presented here by Donizetti. That's a great question because uh, it's a bit of a conundrum to prepare her because you can do a lot of the historical research and you can do you know, a lot of the reading. And this is, I think, really important to come to a project like this that is so rife with history and speculation. But at the end of the day, my responsibility lies to singing Donizetti's Mary and to try and be true to how he saw her. It's obvious he had a very... As Patrick Summers, our conductor, said one day in rehearsal, he really knew his audience. He was playing to the Catholic, um, wonderful sort of congregation of Milan and Italy. And it's a very Catholic take on Mary. I mean, I think he comes down very strongly on her side. And he presents her very much as a martyr, very much as the betrayed, wrong, wrongfully executed woman. And so there's a lot of sympathy towards her. My challenge with that then is to make sure that she isn't sort of a one-dimensional character, that I, I try and find the, you know, the, the regal and royal side to her, but also the human side. And there's a wonderful part in Act Two where she's really distressed at facing her fate, which she herself sealed by actually calling Elizabeth a vile bastard. <laughs> she, she knew that she was signing her own death warrant with that. And, of course, that, that, that insult is because Elizabeth was the daughter of, of Anne Boleyn, Henry's second wife, and therefore, for the Catholics, of course, mm -hmm. was never accepted as a true wife. Exactly. And so, therefore, Catherine it was of Aragon. 
Elizabeth was illegitimate, right. according to the church. Mm-hmm. And Mary believed that. You know, that was just as Elizabeth felt that, you know, she was in the right, Mary believed she was in the right. What complicates the situation, and, and you allude to this, you know, they're both, they're both females who have uh, been put in this powerful situation. And there is also that sense of the, the sisterhood, that they're both royals, they're both queens. We're back in the, the days when, you know, it was the divine right of kings and queens. They were ordained of God. And so that, that whole struggle that Elizabeth and Mary go through is because they both have that very special status as well. Mm-hmm. Not only are they related, but they have that special status. Yeah, to sort of put it in a, in a modern context, I imagine Prince William and Prince Harry, you know, they are born into this insane world. You know, of course, we've got all the press and the media, but, you know, there was clamoring back then. It was just of a different kind. There were different toys <laughs> back in their day in the Elizabethan age. But, you know, they are the only two people on the face of the earth that knows what it's like to grow up under that pressure. So I imagine from the very beginning, if they had some sort of huge chasm between the two of them and they were forbidden to find a way to come together and, and, and be friends or to converge on each other to, to sort of have a conversation about, oh, my God, isn't this really hard or isn't this really great? <laughs> if they were somehow really split apart, I think that gives us a good idea of what it was like for Mary and Elizabeth. They're the perfect idea of they should be the best of friends and should be sisters and should, you know, find a way to sort of commiserate with each other. And yet it wasn't, it wasn't possible. It's very, it's very tragic. Donnett said he bases his piece on the Schiller play. And a certain amount of that is invented because historically Elizabeth and Mary Stuart never met. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's imagined, it's embellished. Yes. And one of the aspects that is embellished is the, the love between Mary Stuart and uh, Lester. Lester. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that adds another dimension to Mary's relationship with Elizabeth. Right. How does that relationship, that love between Lester and and Mary Stewart, how does that develop? When does it develop? Well, it's already in existence. Um, I mean, this is actually a, a bit of a puzzle piece to this opera because Mary has been in prison for about 18 years and yet she's having this love affair with Lester so how this has been allowed to develop and everything it's never exactly explained (laughs) Um, and it's not exactly historically correct so we don't have you know we don't have papers to go back and figure this out but it is the the pretext for the the play and for the opera in particular um Donizetti used several different characters from the Schiller play and sort of morphed them into the leading tenor role. I think what we're talking about here, um, not to make light of it, but I think it's Donizetti's invention to actually play into the operatic sort of field, that we need a leading tenor, we need the love interest. So it's a little bit of a stretch of an imagination, but it gives Mary somebody who she feels is an advocate to be on her side. Come to find out everything he tells her in the opera is a lie. (laughs) He is trying dutifully to save her life, but to do that, he's lying and fabricating that Elizabeth actually wants to grant Mary pardon. He comes in and says, look, if you just go on your knees and say you're sorry, she's going to forgive you and she's going to spare your life. And Mary believes him. 
And it gets her into a lot of trouble because that's not the pretext. That's not the case. Elizabeth comes and is not necessarily prepared to forgive her. And this is where this wonderful Act One finale, hugely iconic, dramatic confrontation happens between the two queens. So Mary cannot rely upon Lester, but she does have Talbot. Yes. We've got this character, again, sort of an amalgamation of different characters. Is he the priest? Is he the confidant? Talbot comes in, and and he is the one who Mary makes her last confession to. As a Catholic, it's very important to have your last rites, to give your final confession so that your soul can then fly unfettered into heaven. And it's it's a wonderful, beautiful sort of 18-minute scene where she struggles, and, and her fear really boils to the surface of what she is facing imminently. Talbot is the source. He, he calms her down and he gets her to see that what she's doing is noble and that there's peace on the other side. So he really enables her to go with a, a real peace in her heart. You've sung a lot of Rossini. How does Donizetti compare? I mean, they say comparisons are odorous. Um, <laughs> but how, how does Donizetti's music compared to Rossini's? Well, I don't think Donizetti was as big a proponent and fan of all that florid music that Rossini's so famous for. Um, you know, all the coloratura and the flights that, you know, the scales up and the scales down and the leaps and and really athletic type of vocalism that Rossini gives us. But, oh, what Donizetti does so well is he'll give these melodies and these really simple spotlights to the voice. There's nothing happening in the orchestra. The orchestra goes mm, bum, bum, mm, bum, bum. And it's just this airy light mattress that of buoyancy that then the voice becomes the cello, the voice becomes the oboe, the voice becomes this really um, plangent instrument over the orchestra of legato and melody and emotion. You know, I think part of the purity of these vocal lines, this is the heart and soul of bel canto, what we call bel canto, beautiful singing. It's so that I think the purity of the vocal line with this almost painfully beautiful melody is so that the emotion can be so potent and and pure and really pierce the heart of a listener. I think that's sort of the end game here. You've sung both Elizabeth and Mary now. Which is your favorite? Well, next I want to sing the tenor, make it a pants <laughs> roll. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's hard because I loved singing Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very easy to make her come across as very one-dimensional. She comes out and sort of is the, you know, screaming and, and you know, very uh, tough and... and uh, you know, she makes a lot of noise, and that's exciting. But I think there's a lot of layers to her because her throne was was on the line. And at the same time, she knew her hands were tied by signing this death warrant. But, the you know, she famously signed it and sent it away and then made the effort to say, oh, no, please don't send it after it was on its way. So that was her way of clearing her conscience, but at the same time accomplishing the deed, but without the guilt. She could say later, no, I told them to recall it, um, but it didn't happen. So there, there's a ver- there's a lot of conflict going on with her, and especially with this love story thrown in. She's the third element of this love triangle. So there's I, I loved doing that, but there is something uh, 
really spectacular about the role of Mary. You know, she makes a very big journey in this. And that's theatrically, it's really thrilling to play that. But, you know, she's left at the end to sort of comfort everybody around her. Mm -hmm. as She's the one going to her death. I mean, it's a very astute thing. It's what happens on a deathbed. You've got all the people sitting around going, please tell me you love me. Please tell me you forgive me. Please tell me I'm okay. And, you know, sure enough, Lester comes in at the the 11th hour and says, you know, I I can't bear to watch you do this. And she's like, there, there, Lester, you'll be okay (laughs) (laughs) while I go get my head chopped off. But the, the other thing is I think, you know, Mary has the most exquisite music in the piece. And as a musician, as a singer, you know, to have the chance to really dig into these vocal lines is a very satisfying experience. Mezzo-soprano Joyce DiDonato, who sang the title role in Houston Grand Opera's 2012 production of Gaetano Donizetti's Maria Stuada. Well, that's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Thank you very much for listening.